likely to express faith. And yet, by the social norms, you know, he shouldn't be seeking out this Jesus. And yet he comes to Jesus in faith. In fact, he comes in great faith. And we're going to see that today. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Hebrew, Hebrews, sorry, that's on the cover. Uh, Luke, let's try that, Luke chapter 7. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, the first 10 verses. And we're continuing our study in the gospel, the good news about Jesus in Luke. So we're going to start at verse 1 of chapter 7. Jesus has just finished his, what we call, Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. Speaking to his disciples and would-be followers. And so now he's done. Let's pick it up here at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pled earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go! And he goes. And to that one, come. And he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well, let me pray for us, and we'll get into what God has for us in His Word today. Hmm. So, Lord Jesus, You are an amazing Savior. And just the fact that You came, put on flesh, and dwelt among us is an amazing thing. But how You reached out to this man who was very unlikely to reach out to you, Lord. Um, it speaks of your mercy and your grace. So would you open our eyes today and help us to see what you have for us in your word. And help us to approach you with faith that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. So Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. I want to start remembering that this Luke is a gospel. It is good news. Good news about what God has done. You see, Jesus, the God-man, put on flesh. And He came and He dwelt among us. 
among sinful men and women. He came and He lived this life. And yes, He would live the life that we could not live of perfect obedience. And yes, He would go to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin that we could not pay. And yes, He would rise from the dead and conquer a foe in death that we could not conquer. But remember what the angels told those shepherds. That this is good news of great joy that will be for all, all the people. All the people. Let's remember that. And that Jesus has come to bring peace on earth with whom God's favor rests. That's what the angels announced back in chapter 2, verse 14. And that there would be peace. There's an opportunity for, for peace between a holy God and sinful men and women. This is good news. And as Jesus came to the temple as a baby and was prophesied over by a man named Simeon, that he would be a light of revelation. God would be revealing himself even to the Gentiles, to the nations, not just one small group, the Jews. It would be for all mankind. Look around you. I don't know how many of you come from a Jewish background, but I'll bet it's about 1%. The rest of us, we are Gentiles. We are the nations. This is our heritage. This was good news. And then as Jesus took on his ministry, he would be the one upon the whole, the Holy Spirit would be upon, who was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. Not just the physically poor, yes, the physically poor, but the spiritually poor. And he was sent to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, not just those who were in jail, but those who were in spiritual prison by the devil. And to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery for the sight of the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the expression of God's favor in the flesh, manifest. This is what Jesus has come to do. And we're just getting one more episode in this story of what it meant when Jesus came and walked upon this earth. He is the embodiment of God's favor. Again, it does start with the Jews, yes, but it goes to all nations, to all men and women. And as we look at this episode, we have to understand that Jesus comes in a place and time where Israel is a captive, if you will. They are a conquered nation to the Roman Empire. And Rome is there to bring order by its might. It's called Pax Romana. Okay? And they're going to do it with their legions, with their soldiers. And where Jesus is at here up in Capernaum is a region called Galilee. It's an area that raises up people who want to resist the Roman Empire. And guess who has to keep order in this area? A centurion in the region in Capernaum. He's the sheriff. He's the one to bring the Pax Romana. Do you think people were real excited about those Romans being there? 
This person seems to be the least likely person who would reach out to the Jews and even a Jewish Messiah, perhaps, right? And yet this is what happens in this story. God, in fact, I think it's orchestrated things that he is actually pursuing this centurion. So Jesus comes back to this town called Capernaum. It's where he kind of started out his ministry. It's kind of home base for him in this region of Galilee. And he's done a lot of ministry there, which includes healing people. He is the Messiah. He's here to bring healing, to show what the kingdom of God is bringing. And this centurion, he hears about Jesus. And he is a servant who is very dear to him, very valuable to him, who is sick, who is on death's door, and most likely this man is Jewish. We don't know that for sure, but most likely this man is a Jewish servant. And so he goes to Jesus. Well, he doesn't go himself. He sends a contingent of Jewish elders, a delegation, the local Jewish elders, to intercede for his servant. And what they have to say to Jesus is quite interesting. Look here at verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. He loves our nation. He's worthy. He deserves it because he, he built our synagogue and he, he loves our nation. My question in looking at this passage is, what makes someone worthy to stand before God in the flesh? God's Messiah. To make any kind of request of Him. And yes, it's by proxy, but what makes anyone worthy to stand before Him? The elders deemed Him worthy, if you will, because he loves our nation and has built our, our synagogue. This is the, the gathering place. This is the worship place, the, the, the building, if you will. And Jesus actually preached in that very building. Perhaps their thought was, well, he, he loves our nation because he, he built our synagogue. And, and perhaps this man has come to faith in Yahweh, in the Lord. And has become a God-fearer. Come to realize that, yes, he really is God, not Zeus or Jove or whoever else they, they named. But it was, it, was, it was Yahweh. It was the Lord. And I don't think we should take for granted God's promise also to Abraham. Where he did say, to Abraham about his descendants, I will bless those who bless you. So I think, you know, God does want to bless those who bless his people. But the elders deemed him worthy because of his good deeds. That they should, he, Jesus should come to the centurion's home and heal his servant because of this man's good deeds. And some commentators, I'm not necessarily agreeing with them, have wondered if the centurion somehow thought that he was worthy of Jesus' attention. Hey, Jesus, I've, I've made a contribution to your people. I should, get a, I should get an audience with you, a poll position, if you will. I'm not, I'm not sure, again, that I agree with that. 
but that is a thought. And it makes me ask the question for all of us, do we take that approach with God? Do we take that approach with God? Because I'm living right, because I'm doing the right thing, if you will. God owes me. Do you do that? Do I do that? And I'm not saying that God does not reward obedience, because He does. But do we deem ourselves worthy because what we do makes us good enough? And let me say this. This is why this is important. Because if that is the case, then Jesus has only come to be a motivational speaker to help us up our game so that we can save ourselves. If that's true. If I'm worthy because of what I do to come before a holy God, to come before a holy Messiah, because I've been good enough, then Jesus is just there to be a motivational speaker to tell me to, tell me to up my game. But the truth of the matter, the, the big picture of what the Scripture teaches is you or I cannot be worthy before a holy God by what we do, by how we go about living our lives. Not that we don't want to please God, but God Himself is the standard, His holiness. And from an Old Testament perspective, this is what He tells us from, from Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind and see if there's any who understands, any who seek God. All have turned away. All become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Again, the standard is not you and me. The standard is God himself. From a New Testament perspective, the Apostle Paul wrote in his, his letter to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we fall short. We fall pitifully short of God's perfect standard. But here's the beautiful thing about this, this episode, this this story is though even though you, me, the centurion falls short, Jesus goes anyway. He goes anyway. He goes anyway to go see the centurion and his servant. Jesus went not because the centurion was worthy, but because Jesus is gracious. And merciful. And again, he is the embodiment of God's favor. This is why this is good news. God is reaching down to you, to me, in Jesus. And if the centurion did have any thoughts of his own worthiness, they're diminished quickly as Jesus approaches. Look at the second half of verse 6. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider, consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, historically, the centurion's response makes sense in that community, in that area. You see, Gentiles, they couldn't even go into the 
temple in Jerusalem properly. They had to be in, a, in an area called the, the courtyard of the Gentiles. They weren't even allowed to enter, even if they had put their faith in God. And the social norms of that time, and they were not necessarily scriptural norms, but they were social norms. Devout Jews would not come into the home of a Gentile because they would fear that they would become ceremonially unclean. That was just, those are just the social norms of that. But Jesus, Jesus is intent to go to this man's house, to go and help heal this servant. He was going to this man, to this Gentile, who, the, again, the religious establishment says, wait, Jesus, you can't do that. You're going to become unclean. But this really foreshadows how the good news, this gospel, will come to the Gentiles without saying you have to keep the Old Testament law of circumcision. And you know what? If you read Luke's other work, the book of Acts, in chapter 10, Peter goes to a man named Cornelius, who is also a centurion. And he starts preaching the gospel, and the people come to faith, the Holy Spirit comes, and ushers in the understanding of the church that God is not just for the Jews, He's for all of mankind. This is good news, that Jesus has come to knock down the wall of hostility between God and man, between Jew and Gentile. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. And by the way, that's the same chapter. You want to kids, people who have memorized this verse, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. It is by faith in what Jesus has done. He's ushering in a new covenant, and we're seeing this as we read this gospel. And so the centurion comes to Jesus through his friends, not touting his own worthiness, but rather his unworthiness, his spiritual poverty. But his worthiness comes in the one whom he calls upon, Jesus. His worthiness comes in putting his faith in him and who he is and the authority that he has. And that faith is very bold. And it comes out of his own military experience. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, this centurion's authority over his men brought order in that region. It spoke order into chaos on a battlefield. And even so, the centurion recognized the authority that Jesus had 
to bring order into the chaos of this broken world, to bring the kingdom of God, and to bring healing to the sin-sick world, even to his servant. Now, did the centurion fully realize what Jesus is going to go to the cross, he's going to rise from the dead and, and all that? I don't think so. But he did know this. He realized that God was at work in Jesus and he had the authority to deal with our human brokenness. And he had a delightful response to this man's faith. He was delighted. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the home and found the servant well. This man's faith was strong. And it was all sight unseen. Jesus never actually physically shows up. But he commands it from afar. And it was based on the authority of who Jesus was. And again, the one who's displaying this faith is not the Jews. It's this Gentile who is somewhat seemingly in a place of enmity, if you will, with, with the Jews. He understood. He understood who Jesus was. And God pursues him. I don't know about you, but as I read this story, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because of how Jesus reaches out, but it's beautiful because of the faith that this man displays. And I'll tell you what, it challenges me about my own faith. But let's start with this. What is my response to Jesus' authority? Number one, is Jesus my worthiness? Is Jesus my righteousness? Because all of us one day will have to stand before a holy God one day. And what will be our right to stand before Him for eternity? Is it because, well, you know, hey, I shot about 500. I'm hoping my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. God's standard is perfect. God's standard is perfect. No, our confidence come before Him has to be based on what Jesus has done. Who came and lived a perfect life that we could not live who paid a penalty we could not pay, who conquered a foe we could not conquer. A little bit later here, in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It is a new covenant. A new covenant that says that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is our worthiness. He is our righteousness. It's not based on what you or I do. 
And you know what? The Old Testament, I mean, the New Testament writers look to the Old Testament patriarch Abraham for this. That Abraham believed God, what God had done, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Folks, that is our righteousness before God. We believe what God has done in Jesus Christ. And it is credited to us as righteousness. That is good news. That is the gospel for you and for me. Number two, I want to say this. That God does delight in our boldness. Our boldness of faith towards Him. Of putting our faith in His authority. And He is more willing to answer our prayers than we think. But I think we hedge our bets sometimes. Because we don't want to hear no, and no sometimes is an answer that God gives us. But sometimes I don't think we want to do the hard work of trusting and waiting, and it's easier not to get our hopes up. It's easier just not to, to have those expectations. But that is not the life-changing, destiny-changing faith that God wants us to have. If you look on your cover, I put this verse on there, Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And I'm not putting out a name it and claim it kind of theology. But here's the fact, folks. Is that God is saying is, I exist, I want to intercede in the lives of men and women. First of all, helping them come to know me by faith and then, helping, and then helping them to live the life that I intended for them. A life dependent upon me, walking with me, knowing me day in and day out and knowing that nothing is impossible for me. Nothing is impossible for me. I want to bring life change in you and those around you. So speaking of that, folks, those of us who know Jesus, who put our faith in Him, who are following Him, He has made us His ambassadors. You and I are His ambassadors. He has given us a great commission to make disciples. And folks, that's going to take trust in God, following Him. And sometimes doing things that just are uncomfortable, out of our comfort zone, and might even seem crazy at times. But he wants to use us to bring the life of Jesus Christ to Rochester, to the state of Minnesota, to the United States, and to the world. He has given us that mission. We are his followers. And I'm praying for boldness. Like this centurion. That we would sow seeds of faith that will go into the hearts of men and women and blossom into life, and would manifest itself in faith, even the people we consider the least likely. God didn't call us to choose who we bring that message to. He just says, be faithful with that message. God is the one who changes lives. We're just faithful carriers of that message. He wants to do it and even the least likely among us. 
So now we are going to head into this time of celebration. Remembering what God has done in Christ to make us worthy before a holy God in His presence. And so this is a both solemn and a celebration. And God in His Word instructs us to come thoughtfully remembering what Jesus has done. Thoughtfully remembering that it is our sin that put Him on the cross. And let me say this before I continue in the Scripture. Here at Berean, we practice what we call open communion. That means if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're welcome at this table to partake and to participate. It is not my table. It's not the table of the Berean Community Church. It is Jesus' table, and He is the one who invites you here. If you've yet to put your faith in Christ, we're glad you're here. Just go ahead and pass the elements on down the road. No no one's going to think anything different of you. Kids, if your kid's here in this room, here's the deal. If mom and dad say yes, it's yes. If mom and dad say no, it's no. And we can have a conversation about this later on. But again, let me give you this instruction from the Apostle Paul. He said, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man, a woman ought to examine himself before they eat the bread or drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. 